Okay, so we are going to try to get an idea in this class of what the book is about and a little help in understanding it. To do that, I want to look at chapter 16 first. So go to the back end of the book and look who Paul is, is talking to. <clears throat> so in the first half of the chapter, verses, say, uh, 3 through 16, you see a theme here. Paul is writing a what? Uh, greeting kind of thing at the end of the book. And he's listing off a whole bunch of people here and naming all these people that he knows that are in Rome. All right? So we have name after name after name of people in Rome. Now, has Paul ever been to Rome when he's writing this? See a lot of head shaking. No, Paul had not been there. Why not? He had been hindered, it says a couple times. He's been trying to get there, but he had not been able to go. So how does he know so many people in Rome if he's never been to Rome? Interesting. We'll see some of these names and see them from other places. It'll give us an idea of how this has happened. He's uh, writing this from where? Where was Paul when he wrote the book of Romans? Do we know that? Corinth. He was in Corinth. On which trip, which one of his missionary trips was he on when he wrote this? Four? No. <laughs> he would have been on his, on his third trip. Uh, first trip, he didn't even go to Corinth. The second trip is when he established the congregation there, the church in Corinth. Third trip, so you remember on the third trip, he comes back through and wrote before he got there first and second corinthians and talking to them about why he's coming one of the reasons was to pick up the money so he mentioned to him a couple times hey i remember up in achaia and macedonia these guys did really well um you know collecting money to take back to judea to support those christians there so you guys uh don't embarrass yourselves make sure you know you have your money ready to go when i get there so i can pick it up and take it back. So he ends up in Corinth on the third missionary journey and he stays there, I think for a winter, it appears, for several months. And it's during that time that he writes the book of Romans. <clears throat> writes to the Romans. Okay, so if you remember all, all that with his, with his journeys, he's coming through. Uh, let's see, he leaves then from Corinth. He was supposed to go he was supposed to sail back from there, but got changed because of a plot. There was a plot against him. Wonder what, let's see, Paul just stopped in Corinth and he picked up a large sum of money. And he just came from Macedonia where he had picked up a large sum of money. And he was headed back to Jerusalem. What do you think the plot might have been <laughs> against Paul? Probably something to do with the money, right? So he had to change his plans to go back a different way. Where did he stay in Corinth when he wrote the letter to the Romans? Who was he staying with? Do we know that? It says it in the book of Romans. It mentions his host. It's not in those first verses, though. I'm sorry. sorry. Yes, yeah, later on. It is Gaius in verse 23. His host. 
And if you remember in Corinthians, it talks about who he had baptized in Corinth, and Gaius was one of them. So it appears, a convert, he baptizes him. He's staying in his house during this three-month time while he's writing this book to the Romans. All right, so that's some thought about where he was and, and uh, the time period around 57, 58, 56, 50-something 50 A.D. that he's writing this book. I don't know if that's real critical to this. Any thoughts you want to add to that or anything that I've messed up totally in those statements so far? <clears throat> All right, so he is staying with this guy, and he mentions him then in this writing, and he starts mentioning a lot of people. At the very beginning of the chapter 16, uh, the first couple of verses, he commends somebody to them. Our sister Phoebe. It appears from this that she was involved in bringing this letter. You know, he says, receive her, you know, when she gets there, she's done a lot of good work for a lot of people and helped me and everything, so give her whatever, whatever help she needs. Uh, and then, apparently she brings this letter and they start sharing that with all of the people in Rome. <clears throat> and where was Phoebe from? Sin, yeah, I'll say it's Sincrea. Is that what you would agree with? <laughs> is that right? And where's Sincrea? How is that connected with this traveling and writing and attending? It's a port city. It is a port city in Corinth. So Corinth was on a little strip of land um, right between the bigger area. And I don't remember all the names of that, but it... They ended up putting a canal across there. In fact, I think in ancient times, didn't they used to shuttle the ships across that, across the land? You know, you could sail into that one port and pay a high price, and the people would actually pull your ship across the ground and put it back in the water on the other side until they dug the canal through there. So that made the rest of the Greece an island, didn't it? Because it now is cut off. So. But she's Sincrea, Corinth, and then Paul sends the letter from there to Rome. So she apparently goes to take that letter to Rome. So it appears that she's delivering it. I don't know if there was anyone else. If, if so, why wouldn't they have been mentioned? I'm not sure about that. But. All right, in verse 3, we have a couple names there that I think we're familiar with. Spelled a little differently in this for some reason, but Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila. And you've probably heard those names many times because they seem to get around a lot of different places in the New Testament area. So what's, uh, what, what do you know about them or where would they have come from? A native of Pontus. Uh, okay. Hey, Josh, could you go ahead? We've got one over here. And a native of Pontus, which was kind of north of in Asia area, Turkey area, or somewhere in there. Uh, so he would have been close close to where they were coming from. Yeah. I think I recall that they were also 
one time lived fully in Rome, but when the Jews were expelled from Rome, they were expelled as well, and that's where they made Paul, I think it was in Ephesus. Okay. I don't remember where they met the first time. They ended up, Paul ended up dropping them off in Ephesus. I think from Corinth is where he picked them up and took them to Ephesus. But again, I don't know if that was the very first time. But every time we see them, they are doing things. They have uh, a, mentions in one place, you know, the group or the church that meets in their house. And they're very active. But yes, they were in Rome. And how'd they get out of Rome? They were kicked out of Rome. Was it Claudius or Claudius or however it was the guy and expelled them all because of some rioting or uprising or whatever that they, some problems they were having with the people. And he's like, all right, I'll let you just get out of town. I think that's even referenced in some, uh, some other secular writings. And I think it mentions instead of Christ, it says Christus or something. So it may have just been a misspelling. There was some kind of uprising or something. It's like, all right, everybody out. But apparently that has been lifted or ignored. All right, to kick everybody out. And then over a few years, people, Jews, are trickling back in. So all the Jews were kicked out. And now they're coming back into Rome because there are some Jews in Rome. Some of them that we see here and some of these names are definitely Jewish names that are in Rome. <clears throat> So that's how they got out of Rome and then get back in. But Priscilla and Aquila, and what had, what is it that Priscilla and Aquila had done for Paul? Mentioned here in this text, do we know what that was? Not exactly. They risked their necks for him. In what way? I don't know. Can you think of maybe some other example of somebody that risked their neck for Paul? In his, you know, in all his work and his travels. Something that might qualify for that. Barnabas? Barnabas? Silas? You can think of certain ways. I mean, I think of the ones that that held him back when he was trying to go into the... (laughs) Into the theater, okay, they risked their neck. Others that traveled with him, you know, it's probably not a safe place to be, right next to Paul a lot of times. But who knows what they did, but they were not bashful about it, apparently. And, you know, doing whatever necessary and helping him in those situations. Thoughts, comments on Priscilla and Aquila? So they are now in Rome. Okay, so they had, uh, yeah, we already mentioned that they kicked all the Jews out of Rome. So apparently from this writing also, there is not just one group that's meeting in Rome. You go down through this list, and he talks about some people, and he mentions some names, and those that are meeting in his house, or their house, and the group that meets with them. It appears that there are more, more than one group or more than one church in Rome at this time.
All right, so also greet the churches in their house in verse 5, which is, I think, the same thing that's said about them in Ephesus, isn't it? I believe with Priscilla and Aquila. Um, and also in verse 4, it says, uh, For my life is thrown next to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So apparently Priscilla and Aquila were also involved in this work such as Paul, which was taking the gospel to the Gentiles. It was kind of his mission. So it is interesting then, when we get to the Romans, does Paul just preach to the Gentiles? <laughs> no, there's quite a bit of information in here that you would say was directed to the Jews. So this, this group is going to be both, both people. So I want to try to think about that and have you think what that would be like and give us an idea of what this letter is about. So you guys in this section are going to be the Jews. You're all Jews. You don't work on the Sabbath, stay away from certain foods, no, you know, fish thing, you know, catfish and bacon and whatever, vultures or whatever, since they're so good to eat. But you're Jews. You guys get to be the Gentiles. You're all in Rome, and you're Gentiles. There were probably a few more Gentiles in Rome than there were Jews, so we got this about right. So next time you come into class, if you don't like who you are, you need to sit on the other side. Because we're going to continue to try to remember that, Gentiles and Jews. Because one of the problems, the problem that they were having there was, was the friction between the two groups the Jews and the Gentiles. And he brings up several things about that. So start, start getting that into your mind and thinking how they would have dealt with one another. Okay, so greet the church, verse 5 is uh, in their house, greet, and I don't know any of these names. <laughs> I can tell you that some of these names sound pretty Greekish. And some of these names sound pretty Jewish. Okay, so that's where I get this idea that we definitely have both people. So when you have somebody there named Mary, you know, every other woman in the New Testament was named Mary. So I'm going Jewish with that one. But then when you see uh, this, uh, what is it, Olympus or something? Okay, I'm going to say that, oh, Apollo, uh, yeah. Yeah, Olympus is in there, verse 15. So probably Greek, right? So we definitely have a, a mix, mix of people in there. So in verse uh, 5, the middle of there, this uh, Ap- Aponetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. So he ends up in Rome, his first convert. Now he's over in Rome from Asia. Interesting. That he mentions him uh, as a first convert. Mary, who has worked hard for you. Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen. My kinsmen. Relatives. Relatives of Paul. That's interesting. In Rome. And my fellow prisoners. Was Paul a prisoner when he was writing this? No, he wasn't. 
Was Paul ever a prisoner? Yes, but this wasn't the long-term prison sentence yet because that hasn't happened. That's when he actually gets to Rome. So he, end up, he does end up going to Rome, but it's not exactly under the conditions that he was expecting. So fellow prisoner, wonder when that might have happened. Can you think of any other fellow prisoners of Paul? He was not always just taken out by himself, was he, and stuck in prison whenever he was preaching. Sometimes other people were caught in that same trap with him. So at some point, this was a fellow prisoner. Think about some of the things that Paul has been through. Remember the list of things that he'd been through? It talks about how, he, how many times did he suffered shipwreck? Didn't it say like three times? Yeah. Was it three times by the end of his life? No, because that was written before the trip to Rome. <laughs> right? And on the way to Rome, he crashes again and ends up on that little island, remember? So, and what about, how many times was he beaten with rods? Each time, he got 39 or something like that. Uh, but how many, how many different times? I think Luke mentions one, but we know Paul mentions a couple more. Uh, imprisonments, how many? You know, so there's several times that he was in prison, and he mentions a couple people, fellow prisoners. who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Yeah, Brad, right up here. So we got, think about this. Uh, we got kinsmen of Paul that were in Christ before he was. I want to think about that a minute. Go ahead. Well, I didn't even know if they were Christians when they came to be Right, right. They could have become like the, the Philippian jailer, you know, or the other prisoners with him that may have been converted. So they were all hearing these things. Paul was constantly <coughs> preaching. But I want you to think about Paul's relatives who were converted before he was. And what was Paul doing to Christians... All right, so you got the, you know, you've rented the park and the shelter, and you got all the family members coming in, and everybody's there, and wow, wouldn't that have been awkward? Oh, here's Paul, here's cousin Paul. Yeah, Paul, what have you been doing? Oh, I've been dragging off Christians to jail. <laughs> what have you been doing? Nothing. <laughs> Go ahead, Bob. Kinsmen can also refer to uh, national fellow Jews. Uh, so they can also refer to them as his skin. And that, that's it. As far as fellow prisoners, in Colossians uh, 4, Aristarchus is mentioned as a fellow prisoner. And then in Philemon 23, uh, Epaphras was listed as a fellow prisoner. And doesn't Paul also sometimes refer to himself as a prisoner of Christ? So this could be 
Could be, could be more of a generic thing. I, I won't disagree with the Kingsman thing. He does single out a couple of them that way. I wondered why, though. You know, it gave me the idea that maybe, maybe related. Maybe not. Uh, and he oftentimes refers to himself as a slave. Uh, prisoner, maybe. I'm trying to think of one of those situations. But yes, uh, good, good point. So it could be a generic, more of a generic thing than a specific thing. Other thoughts? On those. <coughs> yeah, Ryan. Um, in, in Acts 23, Paul's sister hears a plot against Paul and sends her son, I think, to kind of break it up. So at the very least, Paul's family seems sympathetic to this cause for him. Yeah, so that was a definite relative, as we would use the term, a kinsman. Uh, yes. Good. Other thoughts? All right, so the going on down... Um, some more names I can't pronounce. Verse 8, Ampliatus, uh, my beloved my Lord, Urbanus, verse 9, fellow worker in Christ, Stachys, um, then Apelles. So we have, <laughs> I just thought it was interesting, we had two names there with only one, word, one letter different. Apelles. Yeah, I'm trying to find the other one at the moment. But anyway, verse 10, uh, the approved in Christ, greet those who are of the household of, of Aristobulus. Um, and then verse 11, Herodian. What nationality do you think that might be? Her Herodian? <laughs> that... I don't know, you know. I thought that was interesting, uh, related to uh, the name of the, the rulers. Yeah. Aristobulus' uh, family, uh, according to the cross-reference, may Chloe's people. Okay, Chloe's people, possibly. From where is that? That's in First um, Corinthians 1. Does it mention that name, or is that just... It does mention, I remember the... Chloe's people, but I'm not sure how we get to there, but all right, thank you. Um, and then Herodian, my kinsman again. And then the household of Narcissus, Tryphana uh, and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Persis, the beloved who has worked hard in the Lord. Greek Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Um, so interesting thought there, Rufus. You've heard that name before. Where's that from? Do you remember? Who was Rufus? Other, where else in the Bible? Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene had a son named Rufus and Alexander was his two sons. Now, so we'll try to tie this in. I don't know if this is for sure or not, but... We often think of the New Testament writers as writing to different groups. So Matthew, we kind of see him writing to the Jews. Uh, 
who did Mark write to? A lot of people would say to the Romans. Writing to the Romans. So keep that in mind and think about who he's writing to and what he's writing about. So he's writing about Jesus and he mentions this guy that was pulled in to help carry the cross, or actually carry the cross, this Simon of Cyrene. Just happened to be the wrong place, the wrong time. The father of Rufus and Alexander. Now, if I was going to tell you about somebody that I knew and say, hey, I know this guy, you know, know, uh, that I met, you know, his name's Fred or whatever, and he is the father, believe it or not, he's the father of, and you name two people. Why? Well, because... (laughs) The two people that I name are maybe somebody that you are acquainted with or somebody that you know. I think also in New Testament times they named those people because you could go find those people and verify this story and say, this is who it is. This is what happened. And he, he was there and he was an eyewitness to that. But he would also mention those if it was somebody that they knew about or knew of. So then we have this letter to the Romans, and he mentions Rufus. And Rufus was the son of the guy that helped carry the cross. Is there a connection there? Could it be the same guy? I think there's kind of just those kind of ideas may may tie those two together. Uh, Yes. Also, we know that Paul was the Jew of Jews. And he also had Roman citizenship. So he's going to be, he is talking to everybody, the Jews and the Gentiles. So I think it's important for him to establish his family and his relationships on both sides. So that he knows that he is, they know that he isn't coming at them from a biased point of view when he starts to tell them that Christ is the gospel for all. Right. And so he's establishing his footing and his ground with all of the people so that he can deliver them all the same message. Right. Yeah, so making all those connections with the people. So Paul is connecting with you Gentiles. And he's connecting with you Jews in, in, in these things. Now this is at the end of the letter. I realize we're doing this backwards, but he wrote this letter and then he gets to the end and he's, and he's like, all right, now I've said some things. I've said some things that might have been tough, but I want you to know where I'm coming from. I got kinsmen. I've got people that were my first converts. I've got all these people together and you guys need to be working together. Just kind of reading through some of this stuff, I realized that I take for granted Yes, yes, lots of connections, lots of 
lots of people worth mentioning. And how many of those would be in our lives? You know, you go through. But we do that at times. When we visit other places and we meet people, it's like, oh, I know them. Oh, yeah, and they, you would not believe what they did for me and how they helped and that. And it's like, yeah, I know that guy. Oh, yeah, he did a great thing. Man, I was traveling one time and needed some help with something, and, and he was right there. And that's what Paul's doing in this. And you feel that. You feel that connection. Okay, so we got Jews and Gentiles here. I want to mention just real quick, we talk about themes of the book. One of the themes, and we'll see in the first chapter, he mentions over and over, is the gospel. And I think that's got to be the main theme of this and how it applies to you guys and you guys. So he's bringing that all together. That is one of the main themes of this. Uh, So there are probably several others, and you might be thinking about those as we as we go through this even this introduction but what are some of the things that he's wanting to get to the uh you know I to the people So, Claudius and the decree both expired, it <laughs> sounds like. Uh, I didn't know the dates on that. that was, that's helpful, but that's one of the reasons why they were allowed back in, apparently, because he was no longer around to even enforce it, I, I guess, with that. And if you think about that, we often, we, we know Romans 14, Romans 14, Romans 15, and the, and the differences in getting along there. I don't think that was just an afterthought of Paul. It's like, oh, here's everything you need to know. Oh, by the way, let me throw this in. Here's a little thing for you. That was kind of the issue at Rome for that very reason. The, the connection or the non-connection of the Jews and the Gentiles there. So that is one of the themes that he is addressing in this book as well, is how to get along between those. So I will say to that, and this, this has always been kind of, I don't know, I don't know all the exact answers to that, but you go all the way back to Abraham and God made a promise to Abraham. And that promise was 
there's going to be blessings of all nations in uh, Brad up here. There's going to be blessings to all the nations through your descendant. Period. Right? That's, that's the promise. Now, what happened between that promise and that fulfillment of that promise? The, the Mosaic Law happened in between that. Did that change the promise? No. The promise was to all the nations. But in the meantime, God said, here, I'm going to demonstrate what this is going to look like. But this is just going to be a shadow of it. It's going to be the Old Testament. It's going to be the Old Law. And we're going to have just you people. Just the Jews. We're going to, I'm going to demonstrate this. All the nations are eventually going to be blessed through Abraham. But I'm going to demonstrate it through the Hebrews. Through your descendants at this time. So, in my mind, going, you know, growing up and reading this, and I'm always thinking, okay, so God chose these people, lucky, <laughs> lucky people, I'm not choose you, and sorry, everybody else, I chose Abraham. Abraham, your descendants are going to be the ones that can be saved, everybody else, you're lost. That's not the case. The Gentiles had what they needed also to be saved throughout all of their life. They did not have to become Jews to be saved. We don't have a lot of detail of that, but we do have some examples of some of these other nations turning to God and doing the right thing whenever they were told what to do. So we go through this and we, and we sometimes forget that and we think like the Jews did, like you guys were thinking, the only way those people can be saved is to become like me. And we even have some. The proselytes. Oh yeah, well they're good because, because why? Because they're now Jews. But we can't have these Gentiles. What, what right do they have to the promise? Well, they have the exact same right to the promise as you do. Because that promise was made before you even existed that God was going to do that. Alan? And then over here, Josh. Verse 16 talks about great ones of the holy kiss. That's mentioned five times, or by, by Paul and once by Peter. It's not an insignificant thing. They were to have closeness with one another. I don't know exactly what that was, but it, it's, it's, it's an intimate closeness uh, that they had with one another. In extreme times and difficulties, they were there for one another across the, the miles and, and, and close up. Yes, very good. Yeah, Bob. Also, the addressing the major issue is each group thought they were better than the others. Uh, I love it the way that uh, you know, after his introductions, he then points out that the Gentiles, uh, all the bad things that they had done, that they were lost. Uh, uh, really then he turns on, I can, I can almost see the Jews saying, Yeah, Tepter, you, you guys, you Gentiles, you're, you're got a problem, and you guys are saying, Amen. And then chapter 2, he reverses it. And you guys are saying, See, he told you. Then chapter 3, he says, You're all. Chapter 3, you're all in the same boat. And sink it. Exactly. Exactly. Good, good thought. Yes. Uh, Chris, what you were saying just a couple minutes ago, um, 
chapter, the book is bookended with this idea in chapter one of through Jesus bringing about the obedience of faith through all nations. So in one chapter, verse five, and then in 16, verse, um, verse 26, it's like almost the same words are used about how this is going to be for all people, regardless of Jews and Gentiles. What does obedience of faith look like when you're bringing in history of Judaism? Where you're bringing ignorance of just not being a Jew, being a Gentile. How does that work? Together? Right, right, exactly. Other thoughts? Yes, Ryan. Yeah, like your uh, illustration of the uh, Jews being picked um, to be made an example of uh, the Gentiles. It's a little bit like you know, being the coach's kid. Um, at first, it sounds like you're giving all this special treatment, um, but well, it might be special, but it might not be something. Enviable uh, necessarily. You can be made an example of. There's going to be higher expectations for you, so that can be uh, not a pleasant experience, but helpful for the whole team. Right. Yeah, like the coach kid right behind you, Brad. <clears throat> so I like unity. So when we get to chapter three, are we going to bring both of us to the middle? Well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I'm going to make you. I'm going to. I'm going to go push it all the way to the end till we till we get the point across. Yeah, so uh, it's kind of like the idea God told uh, the Israelites. He says, you obey me, do what I say, and you will be blessed, and all the nations will know that I am God. I'll be glorified. You disobey me, and I'll punish you, and all the nations will know that I am God, (laughs) and I will be glorified. So either way, he's going to be glorified. He's given them an opportunity to be blessed in those things. So God will be glorified in this. Uh, so the words that are used about you guys, what, what were they doing to one another? The, the Jews were looking at the Greeks and saying what? They were, it says they were judging them. Why? Yeah, because, you know, they're eating pork and they're working on Saturday and you guys, you know, not paying attention to these laws. What were the what were the what were you guys doing towards the Jews? The words that are used there, they were despising, despising them. Uh, so looking at him, it's like, yeah, they got to take a day off, you know, every every Saturday they can't do anything, and yeah, they won't eat our food, you know, things that we were cooking up and all this stuff, and uh, they won't even touch that. So. Yeah, these these Jews. So you can see some of the some of the problems that were that could be resulting from this. Yes. The problem that the problem that we all have. They were measuring others against themselves instead of against God's will and what they had learned. Yes, so they were measuring everyone on their own scale. So you guys had a scale. You look at them, and they don't meet it. And then you guys are looking at them, measuring them on, on our scale. All right. And what he's end up saying, what he's telling them is that they need to together glorify God. They need to receive each other 
just like both have received Christ and work together on this. Now, you Jews, does he, does he tell you, all right, look, this, this is the New Testament. You, you need to quit being Jews now and just being Christians. Is that the way Paul addresses the Jews? No, so, so you can still be Jews? What does that mean? Can you still not work on Saturday? Is that okay? Can you still be circumcised? Is that okay? Yes. All those things are okay because that's your nationality. And that's not something you just turn off and say, okay, you guys are right. I'll be right over. We'll, we'll just all join in on that. Think about that. Somebody that has been converted to Christ out of some other religion. And you think about what they, some things they do or that they bring with them and how hard that would be to give those things up. Some things need to be given up. Some things are not necessarily a problem. But it's a tradition that they have that makes no difference, or it's a nationality thing. I mean, look at the Jews and the things that Paul even, with circumcision, he circumcised Timothy because Timothy was a Jew. He said, we're not going to circumcise Titus because it's not required and he's not a Jew and we're not going to do that. So, you can see where that would present some problems for them. Yes? Uh, the, the comment was made, I love unity. You know, I, I think we all do the concept of unity is beautiful, right? And I think sometimes unity is very uncomfortable. And you may ask yourself, what is it about certain attempts at unity that make it really uncomfortable? And I don't think we're an answer, but certainly food for thought over the course of this class is... Unity here was uncomfortable. Um, and I think that still happens today. It happens because of people choosing to people by our standards and that kind of thing. And it is an incredible thing to be unified, but it also takes a lot of effort and a lot of patience uh, to accomplish that. So when he got done with them, were they going to all, were they all, all going to be circumcised? Well, then how is that unity? Were they all were they all just gonna start eating pork? We got bacon and tomato sandwiches Saturday morning over at my house. Everybody's invited. Well, how is that unity? They still disagreed on that. So what were they unified in? They were unified in Christ. And it's difficult a lot of times when I think when we think of unity as conformity versus our unity in loving and serving Christ and doing good in Him, and rather than all being exactly like Him, we believe. Amen. I think that is the key. I am unified with you in Christ. Josh, I you. Um, and I am unified with you in Christ. We do not look exactly alike. We do not do the exact same things. We do not agree on every little thing. 
But we agree, and I am, and I am trying my best to serve Christ, and you're trying your best, and those may not look exactly alike in everything. Yes? My, my mother was born in Croatia. She was uh, Catholic. And uh, after she was 40 years old, when she obeyed the gospel, uh, she never was able to eat meat on Friday. She, she just could not give that up. People, Christians, would tell her, go uh, eat meat on Friday. Well, she could not conscientiously do that. Right, right. Being a Catholic, that makes, that, that was a tradition in her end, admit. And to her, it was not optional, right? And that's the difference sometimes. Josh, right up here. Go ahead. Well, in verse 26, we were talking about 16, you know, it says, All nations according to the command of the nation of God. So that's, if you're saying, that's the unifying thing, the command of God. If it's saying throughout your conscience, but he gave you defines the standard. Exactly. And, and could this not apply even outside of the Church of Christ as far as unity, where there may be other people that worship differently than we do that are following the Bible to the best of their ability and they consider themselves saved Christians, where we want to say they are the unsaved because they're not doing the things exactly like they're doing. I would propose this. Right. Yeah, I mean, think about yourself when you were converted even into the Church of Christ. Where I was at that point, I, you know, I could have walked into any place, of, you know. Was I saved? Yes. Did I need to learn a lot? Yes. Are there other people in the world like that? We're all like that. So thank you very much. Uh, we're going to start in chapter, we're going to jump to the other end of the book on Wednesday, chapter one. Thank you.